it will be a glorious day when we enter into Christ's presence for all eternity. And this morning, uh, this morning as we worship the Lord, that, that, that's our goal, right? I mean, that's why we're here ultimately uh, to worship Christ our King, but, but we, are, uh, we are moving toward Christ, God's kingdom come. And we are looking forward to the day that we enter into his presence for all eternity. And it will be so glorious. Uh, it would be so wonderful, so magnificent that we can words cannot capture. Uh, words cannot capture the thought and the glory of entering into his presence and worshiping, worshiping God, worshiping Christ. This morning, as we open up God's word, we're going to be spending our time in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse three. Last week, we were in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we looked at the renewal of the mind. This week, we continue uh, to look at, kind of in that vein, but, uh, but how are we as a church to respond in this Christian life? How are we to live together? What does it mean for us to be the church? And so during this short three-week focus, Wes kind of gave us an intro, um, and he, he talked about the different spheres you know, of, of, of kind of recasting this vision for Crosspoint. Uh, Connect 365, where life intersects mission. And, and, and a central biblical truth of the Christian life is that we as disciples of Christ are always on mission with Christ. In fact, all of life is about living Christ's redemptive mission in the world. Before we put any kind of barriers up to say, yeah, I'm not sure if I agree with that. I, I want you to consider how this fleshes out. So... Christians are called to live in such a way that our whole lives are about engaging in Christ's redemptive work. And this takes shape and it takes many different forms as we live out the Christian life. But it all has to do with living in the community of Christ. So before we go any further, uh, let us let us pray and then read Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight. Let's pray together. Our father in heaven. We come this morning desiring that you would illuminate our minds by your Holy Spirit to understand the truth of your word. For Lord, we're a people of your word and we want to live according to your word. So God, would you open, uh, would you open my mouth, anoint my lips? Would you open our ears, our eyes, our minds, even our hearts? To see and to comprehend and to love and to feast upon your word this morning. And God, would you inspire each of us as believers in you? Would you inspire us, God, to live faithfully and, and draw us nearer to you? Oh, Lord, would you hear our prayer in this way? Father, would you minister to us today, each of us, by your Holy Spirit and have freedom in this place to move in our hearts and in our lives so, Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches. Let me say that again. If service, the one who's serving. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Uh, Last week, we introduced this kind of graphic to talk about uh, the growth of the believer in Christ. And I want you to see that again. It's the it's the tree. And we talked about how, you know, this tree is kind of taken from Psalm one, where we uh, we're like the tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its season. And kind of the idea here is as believers in Christ, we're growing. We're like this tree, right? We're we're firmly rooted and planted in Christ. And so on the next one, we looked at the ways that that actually happens. And we talked about, if you can see those words kind of in the roots there, just to kind of give us a mental picture. Some of us are visual learners, right? And so this idea is that as believers, as we're in Christ, this is one of those spheres, every member growing. We use Romans 12, 1 and 2 to talk about being transformed, not conforming to the world, right? But being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we said that the, the church plays a role in this, but also believers have a responsibility as well. So there's this corporate and there's this, this personal responsibility. And, and the corporate uh, responsibility there looks like, looks like a discipleship and small groups. It, it looks like equipping classes. That corporate aspect also uh, looks like Sunday morning Bible studies or uh, sitting under together, sitting under the preaching of the word, gathering together to worship the Lord home groups, and so on, right? These are the corporate aspects of of how the church is working to help the believer grow in Christ. But there's also kind of this, there's this personal side, and that that also looks like discipleship and and one-on-one or maybe small group discipleship where we're, we're putting ourselves in position to be shaped by others, to be sharpened by others, right? As the Proverbs say, as iron sharpens iron, so, so does one man, one woman sharpen another. This is an idea of, of growth, but also we have spiritual disciplines in the believer's life where we're taking opportunity to grow in the faith through through praying, you know, spending time in prayer daily, uh, spending time in the word, Bible intake, spending time uh, exercising those other disciplines where we hear from the Lord, like like fasting. Right. Uh, the one we really everyone really loves to do is fast. Right. That's the most uh, most practiced spiritual discipline, I'm sure. Right. So so there, there are all these spiritual disciplines. There's the, the personal side of growing in Christ, but there's also this corporate side of growing in Christ. But one thing we notice with all these spheres from from church and Christ and community is that there's there's this overlap between all. And the reason is because we need community through Christ to grow and to live on mission with Christ. We need the encouragement from one another, as, as uh, Pastor West shared from Romans, um, from Hebrews chapter 10, about not forsaking the assembling together of the body. This is the habit of some, but we come together, we exhort one another, we grow together, we encourage one another. 
And so then, then we, we look at uh, the first Sunday, we talked about community, every member ministering. And we looked at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and that's the Great Commission text. We see that God desires us, he's called us, Jesus actually commissioned the disciples and the church to be on mission with him. This involves evangelizing, right? This involves how we live in the world. And so we've got this idea, this understanding of Christ and community. As we grow in Christ and we live in community with one another, what begins happening? I think we have one more slide here with fruit on it. So um, I know it's simple, okay? But here's what happens in our lives, all right? So being grounded in Christ causes the life of the believer to grow and begin producing fruit, right? And so this fruit, this fruit is, it benefits who? It doesn't benefit the tree. It's something that's produced, that the tree bears. The fruit, produ- the fruit, fruit that's born or, or that's produced in the tree, it benefits others, right? It benefits the community of faith, right? It benefits the community that we, that we work in, that we live in, right? And so we kind of had that, if you open up, I know I'm asking you to go different places. It's all going to tie together, I promise. If you open up the worship folder and look at that insert and see the graphic that's, that's there, this, uh, this idea of community, what happens in community? It's that we are, we are sharing life together, benefiting one another, and we'll see how that, that works out this morning through, uh, through church. But then also it's this understanding that through our vocation, through everyday living, through where we are in the world, that we're actually evangelizing the world. And you see what we're doing is as we're evangelizing the world through our vocation and through our neighborhood and through local mission efforts and through all these different ways, we're inviting the world and we're saying, come and see this glorious thing. Come and see what this glorious thing is all about. And this glorious thing is the church. And so we're inviting people to come and to see at these, at these gatherings like, like men's night and, and women's night or, uh, or band of sisters or uh, like these Thanksgiving meals that we share together or the picnic that we have in a park. We're, we're inviting people from the world and we're evangelizing the world through vocation, through sharing our testimony, right? And so we're telling others about Christ and then we're saying, come along and see, come with me and see what this looks like when it's in practice. See how this thing is fleshed out. And so this morning, as we look at the church, we'll come back to that, uh, that diagram or that, um, uh, that graphic for the church uh, in a little while at the end of the text, uh, at the end of our time together. But as we consider the church this morning, I want us to see how, how it all is tied together. Every member serving. So the question is, how do you, how do I, as a believer, fit into this larger picture of the church? And so this morning, the title of the sermon is, is One Body, One Church. The text is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, which we've already read. And the question that we're going to answer this morning first is this. What is the church? What is the church? Some of us uh, were able to attend uh, the Nine Marks Conference, the Nine Marks Workshop, Uh, This weekend at Christ Covenant here in town. Um, If you didn't take advantage of that, you missed a great opportunity. But uh, but what we talked about there is we talked about uh, the church and this question was asked, what is the church? And uh, and Matt Schumacher gave a uh, uh, smucker, I'm sorry, gave a uh, 
gave a great uh, definition. Uh, it's one that we've covered before, but a display of God's glorious gospel. That's the church. It's a display of God's glorious gospel, particularly when we walk through Ephesians. We talked about this. We talked about how we are to image God in the world. And together, we as the church fill up what 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 scripture calls this mysterious thing that God would bring such a diverse people with diverse personalities and diverse gifts together for unity and that this would display God's glory to the world. This would be one of the ways that Christ continues to be incarnate, so to speak, but it, it's the church living on mission in the world. And so the church, we together, we are displaying the image of God to the world. And so the church is the body that images God to the world. We are God's people walking in God's way, carrying out God's mission and being conformed to Christ. So here's a question. That's what the church is. How do we do that, right? Like, how do we live in that way? How do we experience unity in that way? How do we display, how do we become a display of God's glorious gospel to the world? And I think verses 3 through 8 answers that question. How do we become a display to God's glorious gospel in the world? I think verses 3 to 8 answer that question with two exhortations, two encouragements that we need to see. All right. The first one is this. We walk in humility, not in haughtiness. We walk in humility, not in haughtiness. Look at verse three. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Right. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. What's Paul saying here. He's saying, don't have an elevated view, a self-elevated view of yourself. Don't, don't have this high view of yourself where you look down on others. I remember meeting a guy at a wedding that I officiated who thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, he, like, he thought a lot of himself. So before the rehearsal dinner was finished, if, all right, you go to a rehearsal dinner, most of the time you're seated somewhere, right? So I'm seated at the table. Uh, but anyway, when you go to rehearsal dinner, uh, at this rehearsal dinner, before it was finished, he had told me and several others how important he was to his company. Anytime the company had a problem, man, they'd turn to him to fix it. He ran crews all across the southern states, and I knew every state that he worked in by the time it was over. So I, I sat there for the, for the entire time, I don't know, mate. Maybe he was as good as he hailed himself to be and as valuable to the company as he hailed himself to be. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But it was hard to sit there in the stomach, this self-inflated, egotistical perspective that he had of himself, right? Well, kind of on the opposite side of that, I've also met people who constantly belittled themselves, who constantly degraded themselves in front of others, And they had this sort of false humility because what they really wanted to see was they really wanted someone to say, oh, no, you and and you're you're not you're not so bad. You're not bad in this. And they really wanted someone to praise them and tell them how good they were so they would feel better about themselves and to draw the attention from others to themselves. Right. We've kind of met people in both camps, haven't we? And and it 
it's aggravating to be around either one of them. It, it really tests our patience. But both of these perspectives really highlight the human problem, the universal problem of the human race. And that is that we often have a self-inflated view of our own importance, don't we? We often do. And it doesn't matter who you are, we often and can easily develop this self-inflated view of our own importance. Therefore, pride sets in, or it comes from pride, really, uh, where we think, uh, who are you to ask me? Or, um, I'll do this when I want to do it. I'm not going to do this when you want me to do it. I'll, I'll do it on my own terms, on my own time. You know, but this really goes against the grain of the Christian life and the Christian walk of servanthood and service, right? And so what we see here is that Paul is saying that being transformed from verses 1 and 2, being transformed by the renewing of our minds is key to discerning the will of God. And that the submission of our wills to the Father's will really is summed up in one word. It's summed up in this word obedience. And so we said we, we can't live according to God's will on our own strength. We need the, the work of the Spirit of God in concert with the word of God to teach us how to live according to the will of God. But not only is the renewing of our minds key to discerning the will of God from verses 1 and 2, what we see here is the renewing of the mind. It's also key and it must be active in, in evaluating our identity and our gifts, who we are and how God has actually gifted us to serve. And so the renewal of our minds is key to having what he calls a sober view or a sober judgment, a right view about who we are, right? A right view about who we are in Christ. And so Paul's challenging us to think less about our own individual importance and to think more of our corporate role within the body of Christ. I want you to see how he's doing this. Peter says it this way. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, right? Now, imp implied, as each has received a gift, every one of you in the church has received a gift, is what Peter's saying. All who are members of the church have received a gift, and they're to use that in serving one another. Be good stewards of, of God's grace towards you. And so Paul says, we're to think of oneself, I'm to think of myself with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, it means, it means to look at our relationship with Christ as a standard of measurement. It means to see that by looking at Christ, it means that we'll have a more accurate view of ourselves, of who we are. So Philippians 2, 7 and 8, where Paul says Christ emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, listen to what he did. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, here's what Christ has done for us. Here's what Christ has done for you. He took upon himself the form of man. He became man. And as we talked about last week, in true form, in true humanity, he resisted temptation to sin, even to the point of shedding his own blood, 
where he went to the cross in order to be a perfect sacrifice, a lamb of God slain so that all who believe in him and his work might now have eternal life. And therefore, all who believe in Christ are now one in unity in the body of Christ. We've been purchased. We've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And because of that, we have been brought into the body of Christ. And so this morning, what we're kind of what we're talking about here is how we as the church live together and exemplify and even display this glorious union that we have in Christ to the world and to one another. And so he says there in verse three, uh, by. By by faith that God has assigned each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So. What does Paul mean here? Well, he he doesn't mean that God has divinely apportioned a a deeper and more robust saving faith to one person over another. Instead, what he's speaking of here, he's speaking of the effects of salvation, right? He's speaking about these gifts that God has given. And so God, through Christ, graces us first, first with salvation. So maybe I should begin by saying, or maybe I should say first, that before we can understand how we do this together and look, look like this, like a display of God's glory in the world, before we can do that, number one, foundationally, number one is we've got to be believers in Christ, right? Our life has to be hidden in Christ. That means the sacrificial work that Christ did on the cross to die for our sins must first happen. And we, we must, well, we must first believe in that, have faith in that. And that he was actually raised from the dead and that he ascended to the Father. This is what the hope of the gospel is, that he has, Christ has purchased eternal life for all who have faith in him. And so that looks like one day when Christ returns and calls us to be with him, that we will be with him forever, eternally in glory. That's what we were singing about this morning. And so here's what Paul is saying, that we... We think of ourselves first with sober judgment and that because God graces us through Christ with salvation, get this, that believers are now dependent on God for the gifts that he gives us. And so as believers, we are to take those gifts that were given by God. And here's what he's saying. He's saying now we employ those, we use those, we put them to practice and to work in the midst of the body, serving one another. So they're divinely given gifts. And notice something like the tree, right? It's not to benefit the tree, the fruit. It's to benefit one another. Right? And so get this picture, church. You're given these gifts by God. You're entrusted, like Peter says, a stewardship. You're entrusted with these gifts by God. And how are they to be used? They're to be used in the midst of the body. They're to be used in in serving one another. So just as God's grace had made Paul an apostle, his grace has given now each person in the body of Christ differing gifts for the mutual edification of the body. And so we've all been given these different gifts in uniquely equipped in specific ways, divinely given these gifts. Those who are believers to serve one another. And so walking in humility actually brings about unity, right? It brings about unity. That's letter A there. You know, look at the illustration that he uses there in verse 4. Or we, we see the illustration of the body. 
For as in one body, we have many members. All right, well, we know what that means, right? One body, this is Nick's body, and I have many members, right? I've got fingers and toes and arms and legs and a mouth and teeth and a nose and eyes and all of us, ears, we all have one body, but many members of that body. And they all are doing a specific function, doing different things. And so individually, they are members. But what Paul's saying is that these members actually play a larger role within one body. You see, when all the members are carrying out their function and role, the body is working properly. And here, Paul likens a church to the body. Every member has a role to play in the body of Christ. And so when we view our gifts in the larger perspective of the body, we can see and we can understand the importance of all members having a contribution to the work of the church and the display of God's glorious gospel in the world. So the takeaway here, Paul says, every member within the body of Christ, the church, has been gifted for a specific purpose and in a specific way. This means that when we have members who are absent for extended periods of time or or who are uninvolved, who grow less and less involved over a period of time, this means that it actually hurts the body, right? Be the body like walking with the lame leg, right? Because we're missing the leg. We're, We're not able to benefit from the gifts that God has gifted us with through members of the church in order to serve one another, right? And we see this on display in, in the, the w- musical worship team, right? We see this on display in so many ways in congregational life. And so the takeaway here is that everyone who's a member of the body is uniquely gifted by God to serve a purpose and a role within the body. And so your membership, your involvement, hear me out, believer, your membership, your involvement here at Crosspoint is of great value and of great importance. And so when we meet together, we gather for corporate worship, we are gathering for the glory of God to worship Christ and to encourage one another and to use our gifts to serve one another. So while there's unity in the body, I think there's also a great picture of diversity. Look at what he says in the second part of verse 4. And members do not all have The same function, right? So God's glory is revealed not only in the unity of God's people, but also in this great diversity of God's people. So the members don't all have the same function, meaning what? The eye doesn't have the same function as as the foot, the hand as the leg, right? All of them having a different function. Here with 1 Corinthians, you can follow along. It should be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 18 through 26 says, But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. And on, and, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable We bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, right? You see this great picture of diversity. And what Paul says here in verse 4 is that the members do not all have the same function. Verse 5, so we though many are one body in Christ. And so the Bible study teacher and the home group leader don't essentially have the same function, but both are necessary. Right? The elder and the deacon don't necessarily have the same function, but they're both necessary. Right? The greeter and the worship team don't have the same function, but they're both necessary, right? And so on and so on goes the gifting within the body of Christ, within the church, within you and me. And so we become a display of God's glorious gospel to the world when we walk in humility. And that brings about unity and it as it celebrates the diversity of who we are in Christ and how we're gifted in Christ. And so the first exhortation is that we walk in humility, not in haughtiness. And our second exhortation this morning is that we walk in interdependence, not independence. Interdependence, not independence. You see this in verses 5 through 8. In verse 5 he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, Do you realize that the Bible teaches that Christians in the local church actually belong to one another? That we belong to each other? You know, many Christians view their walk with God as only between them and the Lord. But this couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what Scripture affirms and teaches. Because God doesn't call us to live isolated lives from one another, right? Scripture affirms this, that that as believers, we're called to actually live together within the body of Christ. We're called to have an interdependence upon one another. Interdependence. So verse 5 is where he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Listen, we're one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. Paul says we belong to one another. We're to work together for the mutual benefit of the body. And we're to employ our gifts divinely given by God to benefit the body. You see, when we have a right perspective, when we have a sober judgment of our giftedness by God, then we begin to see how God wants to use us in the midst of the body, working together to bring about the health and the wellness of the church, but also to display His glory to the nations, to Baton Rouge, to the city, to the places that we work. So as we're interacting with community in the world, and we're saying, come and see. Come and see what this thing looks like. Come and see why why I'm always so encouraged in my faith. Come and see how how I'm, I'm learning about what God has done and what God is doing and working in my life. So as we're able to do that, we're able to bring others in, even to the body. And so we're gifted by God, and God wants to use our gifts to work together for the benefit of the body. And so, believer, you're gifted not for your own self, but you're gifted for others, right? You're gifted for others. You're gifted for one another. We are gifted together for one another. So if Paul is right in saying that every believer 
is uniquely gifted by God. And though we're gifted in diverse ways and our gifts are given for interdependence of the body, then the question that we must ask is twofold. The first question that we need to ask ourselves is, how has God gifted me to serve the body, right? First, we need to know, how has God gifted me? What are the ways that God has gifted me uniquely, divinely, by his spirit, in other words? How has he gifted me to serve the body? Secondly, am I fulfilling my role, my service within the body of Christ? How has God uniquely gifted me? And am I fulfilling my role? My gifting within the body of Christ. You know, this is a completely different view of Christianity than the the world, especially the American church, has come to practice, right? In our modern, contemporary, consumer-driven approach to church, church, we've missed the boat on what it means to be a church and what it means to be part of a church. And so what Scripture teaches about the church here interrupts our compartmentalized view of Christianity. We have these compartments where we think about church as an activity, something we we go to. We view church as something we attend. But Scripture says differently. Scripture actually says that we, God's people, are the church. Church isn't something that we attend, right? We go to worship, but church isn't something that we attend. We attend worship. We are the church as we gather together. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we must stop thinking of church as an event and renew our minds to think of church as a community of saints, a community where diverse people with diverse gifts and diverse personalities belong together as one unified body in Christ. This is what God has called us to be. And it's through this that there's a glorious picture displayed for the world to see. And we do this in order that we might spread the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So this is the point of verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, right? Here's the exhortation. We've got gifts having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So by God's grace, we've been gifted differently. And now Paul says, okay, let's take these gifts that God has given us and let us use them. Use them for what? Use them in serving one another. Look at what he says there in verse 6. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. And in all likelihood, this phrase, in proportion to our faith, actually governs each of the seven gifts that he lists here in verses 7 and 8. And so prophecy, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, right? In service, if service, in serving, in our serving of one another. I don't think Paul intends to give us a comprehensive, well, I know he doesn't. He doesn't intend to give us a comprehensive list here. These are the gifts that you have to fit into. If not, uh, then you're just not gifted. No, what, what Paul is saying here is that these are general gifts that he's highlighting for the church there in Rome, but there are other places in Scripture where we see other gifts that are given by the Spirit of God, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or even looking in Ephesians chapter 4 and seeing how God has gifted the church, and, and that kind of focuses more on the offices of, of the church. But what we see here is Paul identifying 
these gifts for the specific purpose of serving the body of Christ. We might call all of these gifts serving gifts because this word serving, it kind of it denotes this idea of using the gifts to serve one another and to serve Christ's kingdom. The word there for serving that he actually uses here in verse uh, verse seven, if service in our serving, it's the same word that's used in Acts chapter six when it talks about the deacons being called and into this office, uh, diaconon, and it, it's the word where we even get our word for deacon from. But, you know, that word service, it's also used to speak in that same text in Acts chapter 6, not only of the serving of tables, but also of the serving of the word. All right. So it's through uh, the preaching of the word. It's through the serving of tables. It's through many ways that we are gifted to serve. And I want to show you that in, in, in just a moment. But this idea of prophecy, I feel like I need to address that because we kind of are, I don't know what prophecy is. And we begin to think about different notions and ideas about what prophecy is. But I think what Paul is saying here, this gift of prophecy, uh, the nature of the gift of prophecy that Paul's speaking of, it doesn't carry a sense of prediction like we might think about um, is it Nostradamus who makes these predictions, right, about uh, the end of the world or uh, other, others who have come and made predictions, uh, Joseph Smith and so on. Uh, he's not talking about Muhammad. Uh, he's not talking about this predictive type of prophecy. What he's talking about here is he's talking about communicating revelation, truthful revelation, uh, perhaps for the conviction or, or for the edification of a brother or sister or even for the body, uh, the, the, the church. And so he's not talking about speaking authoritatively like like thus saith the Lord that we see in the Old Testament prophets. But instead, what he's talking about is speaking to address maybe like the political climate of the day or speaking into a situation in a person's life. So a brother, it might look like a brother's been praying for an individual, reading scripture, and all of a sudden realizes that this scripture is it brings this conviction to mind. He says, I need to go and tell Nick that as I've been praying for him and reading scripture, that this is what I think God has shown me, right? This might be a word of prophecy to speak into his life. And same thing on in, in behalf of the church, but here's what's important about it, is that it's in proportion to our faith, right? Number one. So what would happen is that word would be taken and would be sifted through the sieve of scripture so that we make sure that we, that we know that it's, it's grounded in the truth of the word. But then there are other gifts, this gift of, service, the gift of teaching, you know, teaching is the, the importance of helping people to know and apply God's word practically in daily living. It involves instruction with regard to right doctrine because it's right teaching and right doctrine, which leads to right living. And this is the one who does say, thus saith the Lord, right? This is in accordance with God's word. And so realizing that even as I stand here or as a teacher stands before you with the word of God opened, that what we're saying is we're saying this is what scripture says. That's why James says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And the idea here is that when we open up God's word and we begin to teach the truth of God's word, we're saying here is what God says. And as the church, we are a people of God, right? We're a people of the word. And so when God's word speaks, we say, okay, this is the truth of God's word. Now I need to live it in my life. I need to apply it and, and learn it and, and, uh, and, and walk in it. 
So there's a gift of exhorting and the gift of contributing, you know, and I won't, I'm not going to sit here and go through each of these individually, but we get the sense of why the encouragers are important, right? We need encouragers. <laughs> we need people who are going to exhort us to, to truthful and right, rightful living, but we also need those who are going to encourage us, those who are specifically gifted with contributing and blessed financially, using those gifts to, uh, to benefit the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that others like any of these gifts. It doesn't mean that others aren't particularly involved in them. But what it does mean is there's some special gifting here that God has given. And we see those gifts within the body of Christ as helping to, to cause the body of Christ to flourish. He talks about acts of mercy, you know, demonstrating this merciful way, being compassionate and comforting toward others. We might add to this within the context of the needs of our local congregation. I want to draw your attention now to open up that uh, that worship folder that you received and to look at uh, that <coughs> graphic in the worship folder and see uh, this also. This is not comprehensive either, but I, I want you to notice just for a moment the graphic because it's intentional in the way that we've drawn it out and laid it out. Christ himself, every member growing this understanding is that Christ is the foundation of all that we do. And when we look at community, community being built on Christ and, and in Christ and church being built upon Christ, every member engaging here. Here's some of the ways that we engage right at Crosspoint. Administratively, there are those who serve on the management team. I think it's important for us to see this. They, they, they serve, they're elected by the congregation, but even serve on the management team so that they're using even their gifts to serve the body, uh, meeting to do this work of administration. The spiritual gifts, there are many, and there are a few listed here, from the evangelist to the teacher to administration to hospitality, etc. Listen, God wants us to use these gifts in the church and serving one another. If you have the gift of, of evangelism, taking others along with you to do evangelism. And, and if you have the gift of teaching, using that gift to benefit the body, our administration, our hospitality, and so on. All of these gifts are important and are to be used within the body. We look at other ways of service and engaging from elders to uh, children's ministry. You know, we're praying for uh, more lay elders, for God to raise up men from in, within the body of Christ that would be called to serve in this capacity. Uh, children and and youth ministry, you know, this is an area of service that while it doesn't always require um, a doesn't always necessitate a, a spiritual gifting. There's still ways that we serve within the body of Christ, right, that we do because we love one another and we want to share with one another. One area that we might think about this would be like child care on Sunday mornings, extended session. I think a lot of times when people see Sherry coming, they kind of turn and want to walk the other way. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, listen, serving in serving in extended session and watching our children in the midst of the service and doing that so that even the parents who have young children can come and can be part of the worship service this is a great and tremendous service. If every adult in here would uh, would take one time a year, maybe twice a year, I think extended session would be covered. Right. Uh, and, and so any every able-bodied, I should say, every able-bodied 
adult would do that. Extended session would be covered. And so I, I want to exhort you and encourage you to think through that and think about what that means. Or for deacons, you know, this idea of serving the body. You know, deacons are unifiers within the body. Even the ministry in Acts chapter 6, it began by putting down division and dissension within the body, right? They're unifiers from home group to media team. There, there's so many ways that we could list, right? So many different areas that we could list here for serving. And so here's the challenge. Here's the takeaway for us this morning. God's word is clear. That he has uniquely gifted the believer to serve within the body. And I think serving means more than just sitting, right? Serving means being engaged. And so here's the question. Do you know, first do you know how God has divinely gifted you? It's clear that God has, if you're a believer, if you don't know, let me help you. I want to talk to you about what it means to be gifted by God, and, and let's work together to figure out how God has gifted you. And if you know how God has gifted you in a way that you can serve within the body, then let me ask you, how are you using your gift, your gifts, to serve the body of Christ? See, so... When we look at this Connect 365, where life intersects mission, we see church, every member engaging, community, every member ministering, and Christ, every member growing. So as we grow in Christ, we might discern new ways that God is gifting us, right? The new believer is not going to be a teacher automatically. But there might be new ways that God is gifting us and grow as he's growing us. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Do you know how God has divinely gifted you? And secondly, how are you using your gifts to serve the body of Christ? I'm going to pray for us. And this morning you respond as the Lord leads you. Maybe it's to stay right where you are and to say, God, I know that you've gifted me and I've not been using my gifts to serve you. And I want to or show me how you're gifting me and you want to use me in the service of your kingdom. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you divinely gift us by your spirit to serve you, to serve one another, to benefit this, this faith community, to spread your gospel throughout the world, throughout this city. And so, Father, we pray that you would, uh, that you would draw us near to you, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live faithfully for you, Empower us, God, to, uh, to be faithful in obedience in submitting uh, our will to your will. Uh, and Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. For it's in Christ's name we pray.